You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises. For more information, visit keithmitnick.com or email me. It's kmitnick at forthepeople.com. Hello again, everybody. This time, I want to address something I get asked often. And people will ask me, what's the difference, really, between opening and closing? I know you can't argue in opening and you can in closing, but how do you see the difference of their roles and the goals? And let me share with you my perspective on it. Because I think... They are equally important, but very different purposes. Anyone that's ever heard me speak knows I believe cases are won and lost in opening statement. So opening is about convincing those jurors your team is the team that they ought to be for because you're right. So you need to come out of opening ahead or else the studies show it's very unlikely you're ever going to catch up. So opening is about setting out the framework of that winning package that you're going to deliver to the jury that the facts are going to be put in. You don't want facts just bouncing around freely out there like like atoms. You need structure, and the structure... It needs to come from your framework, and it needs to be a winning framework, and you design it before you ever get to court. And it's all designed with the purpose of putting your best foot forward and not stepping in any pitfalls. You want to make sure you have your strengths built into your framework and built into the framework. You're going to take away the defensive stuff. You know, it's my if, if you, you want to eliminate as much of their favorite facts as you can, The ones you can't eliminate, you want to own if you can, and you can own a lot of them. I don't have time to cover that, but that's an exciting topic. And if you can't own it, you want to put it in context, but not in a make an excuse way, in a high high ground way that shows how, through your tone and the framing, you're protecting the jury from being taken out of context. So you do that, and you're going to be using winning questions. The defense suggests the fact this injury wasn't there before, didn't have the pain before, it happened the moment of the crash, it's never gone away, that the crash is all just a big coincidence. Well, that's a heck of a good framing because it puts a laser dot on the one thing they don't want to talk about. I call it the sensible sequence of events. But whatever it is, you want to frame it out. I tried a case where the defense wasn't going to put on any witnesses because they don't put on witness, they get the last word, and they thought they could talk their way out of a just verdict by getting the – I mean, they get do get the last word in, in closing. They get first and last word if they put on no evidence, and they thought it was so important to put on no evidence. I was scratching my head like, wow, I can't believe they think it's that important. But I designed an opening, and I, I laid the framework there. And, the first, and we had MRIs coming our way, and the radiologists coming to show and tell, and we had the, the treating um, – uh, neurologists coming to show and tell, and they were bringing no one to counter. It was just going to be the lawyer talking. So 
What was a framework for opening? And I wrote it on a flip chart. And the framework was, your verdict is to be based on the evidence. Number two, what the lawyers say isn't evidence. Number three, MRIs don't lie. That was a a framing. So opening is about getting out ahead. And not just ahead after your opening, but you need to be ahead after they're done with opening. You have to realize you don't get a rebuttal in opening. They get the last word. So you anticipate and you design a powerful framework, a package that is not only going to put your best foot forward and your strengths front and center in the best light, but also swallow whole anything they were going to do of substance that might make the jury think, hey, why didn't he address that? He must not have an answer. And he had me going there, thought he had a good case, but he was hiding the ball. So you anticipate and you build a structure that is unassailable in a winning structure. That's winning at the beginning. That's opening. Now, how does that convert to closing? And if their minds are already made up, Mitnick, What's the point of closing? Why is it important? Is it? I say, oh, yeah, it's important. It's vital. It's just important for another reason. What is the reason? Well, let me tell you from my perspective. I know there's those of y'all out listening and lots of closing. You got your own view and you don't mean me telling you what the difference is and what. But you know what? It may be interesting you to see how I look at it. So I want to share it with you. And if you're younger, I hope it gives you some, some real insight rather than waiting years to figure it out. So let's talk about it. Closing argument is about the only people that can change minds this late in the process. Other jurors. Other jurors are with you can change the mind of those that are against you. And let me, let me actually be more precise. I doubt they're going to change their mind and their heart of hearts, but they'll change their vote for the verdict. So, closing argument is about putting the words on the tongues of the jurors who are with you and have seen the light for the upcoming battle with those who are against you and have lost their way. I see it as giving them little sound bites like pre-recorded messages that are easy to remember and easy to repeat. So when deliberation starts, it's almost like you were a ventriloquist and you were throwing your voice into the favorable jurors so they say what you would have said if you were loud in the room. So it is thinking ahead and preparing these little packages that are powerful arguments for your Jurors who have seen the light so they can advocate as you would have if you were allowed in. That's number one. Put the words on the tongues of your your favorable jurors. The other is you want to galvanize your favorable jurors. You want those jurors to be willing to fight as long as it takes for what's right. Third, 
you want to take the wind out of the sails of those jurors who have lost their way and are against you. You want them to be the ones at 5.30 to go, you know what, I don't care enough to stay here any longer. That lawyer had some pretty good points, and he didn't change my mind, but he did give me some second thoughts. And go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever you want. I'm on board. Or maybe the other people talk them, they go, you know what, I think you're right. I don't know. I don't get to sit in deliberations. But I know this. I want to take the wind out of the sails of those jurors who are against us. How do I do it? The very same powerful phrasing and words and framing that I use for the jurors who are with us to empower them, to galvanize them, to put the words on their tongues are the same words that will take the winds out of the, the wind out of the sails of those who are against you. And then what's left? What's left? In closing, damages. And we talked about that in a, in a couple other podcasts. Really three of them. It's damages, which is huge. So don't ever think just because minds are made up in opening, well, let's just skip closing. Closing is, is huge. It's everything. If you didn't do opening right, it don't matter what you say. You're done. But if you did, you're in the fight and there's a final fight coming that you're not going to get to actively participate in. Closing is about allowing you to participate vicariously through other jurors. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's really important. It's just really important, I believe, to understand why it's important and what the difference is. Now, does that mean you leave out all the hard framing you did in opening? No, no. For example, in that case that I gave as an example where I wrote on the flip chart those three things. What do you think I started with when I got in earnest after thanking the jury when I got into closing argument? I pulled the flip chart out. And I said, remember an opening statement. I told you and pointed at it. You're to base your decision on the evidence. What the lawyers say is not evidence, and MRIs don't lie. Well, at that point, folks, I was previewing the evidence to come. You've now seen it, and you know why. Why that is the most important three things you could think about. Because you are to base it by evidence. And what the lawyers say is in evidence. And the lawyers on that side did a lot of talking and they're about to do the final talking. They're going to have the last word because they gave no evidence. They get the last word. But whatever they have to say will never, ever be evidence. There's only one side presented you evidence. They got to cross-examine, but they brought you no, not a single doctor to say those MRIs don't say what they say. Not one. And they could have. They didn't bring you one neurologist to disagree. Not one neurosurgeon to say, whoa, 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 what that doctor said is wrong. Let me tell you why. All you got is talking and what the lawyers say in evidence. But even more than that, you have MRIs that you saw with your own eyes. And you are not only able to see the injuries, you're able to see they were recent injuries caused 
by trauma. Just this trauma. That's why I started with that. Now, and then I started rolling in to closing. What I didn't do. See what I did? You want to bookend it. If you start, you always know you started with the right framework in opening when you can't wait to go back to it at the beginning of closing. And if you're like, well, I'm not going to use that. It doesn't fit. Well, you got to get better at defining your, your framework in opening because it ought to be perfect fit at the end. Sometimes crazy things happen, but normally if you think through it hard and spend a lot of time and, and realize the significance and vital importance of how you frame your case, you're going to can't wait to put bookend it. You want the continuity. You want to carry it in. You know what else? By putting it up and talking about it again. And it isn't like you lost in the middle of the trial. You kept going back to it at the trial. It's been a steady drumbeat. Therefore, it's going to instantly be on the tongues of who? The jurors who've seen the light. It's going to instantly be sucking the wind out of the sails of those that are leaning the other way. So you want to return to opening, but here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to start rehashing everything. Now let's tell me the facts again and remember the story. My client was hit. She was, they know it by now. They're going to wring your neck if you bore them by doing it again. Don't keep pulling out the same old documents. If there's a smoking gun, great one. Say, I know you've seen it a lot. I apologize for showing it again, but I just would be remiss. I wouldn't do my job. I can't. You know, I just, my pants are on fire. I cannot, right before you decide, not bring it out one more time. Bear with me. Look, it tells you there's only one verdict. So you may pull a document or two out. But don't run back through the same stuff you did before. Hit the highlights, the key answers, the best, the smoking gun answers. You know, deal with the ones where they scored some points. So you don't, you're, you're proud and you, have, you, you can show that doesn't change your right. Your client's right in spite of whatever that one thing is or two things they scored a few points on. So that's the difference. You tie back in, but it's not a regurgitation or a repeat of the same stuff. This is different. This is argument of what has happened. You're grabbing sound bites from the trial, from, from key points of the trial, from memorable events. If a witness really broke down, did sorry on cross for them, you're using closing argument to relive it. Remember, I was cross-examining him. If a judge doesn't mind, I'll get in the witness box. And remember, he said so-and-so. And then I said to him, what about? And you remember the look on his face said, court porter must have taken it down all wrong. Remember that. And I stepped back out of the witness box. And it brings it to life and the power of it. That's what closing is. It's a walk down memory lane for highlights, not to retell the story. Because those highlights become the sound bites. That's what closing's about. Their witness, you know, the truth finds a way to the surface in a courtroom. It just does under cross-examination and the stress and the lights are on. Truth finds a way out in courtrooms. No matter how hard you keep it down, you know what it's like. It's like those little bubbles in a spring of water that are stuck under a rock. They find their way out and they go to the surface and they go pop. Well, in this case, when I was cross-examining their witness, this is a different case because in that case they didn't call any witnesses. But I've done this multiple times where I've cross-examined and gotten a bunch of impeachment and flopping around and changing things. And you say, you know, the truth is like those air bubbles. 
And there were so many of those truth bubbles bursting here in this courtroom. It was like a jacuzzi was going off. And if the jury chuckles, you go, they saw it too. We're there. So whatever it is, you're using the power of analogies. I'm not going to go through it because it takes too long, but you know it. If you don't know it, get my first book, Don't Eat the Bruises. It's in there. It's one of the best things I've ever invented in a case where there's not a lot of visible property damage. And you use a chair as analogy to show how it's, you know, hitting the back of the chair. And you turn it around. The fact there's not a mark on the chair doesn't mean it wouldn't hurt the person who was sitting in the chair who didn't know you were coming and you struck the back of it and their head snapped back. You use those analogies in closing argument. It's the wonderful home of powerful analogies. So in closing on this, I had an analogy myself come to me to explain what's the difference between opening and closing. And it comes from, of all places, that old um, story about the three little pigs. We've all heard it. And it really tells the difference. It dawned on me. I was going to speak to a group. It was called... Uh, under 40 trial lawyers, and there's anyone 40 or under, and they were a bunch of, you know, people cared enough to keep getting their craft, and they were in that phase of, of their skill, and, and so they were calling, call, I got to go talk to these lawyers in the under 40, and I was on the way, to, and they wanted me to talk about closing arguments, and I thought, you know, I, I want to explain the difference, and I thought, I need, I, I, I'm such a believe in analogy, and I, this one came to me. I had to actually go look it up, because you know what, that three little pig story, They've cleaned it up for kitties. Go back to the original story. And the tail end of what I'm going to tell you is what really brings it home. And the story is, briefly, I won't spend on time because we know it. The, the, the wolf comes into the little pig's first house and he's built out of, out of straw. And he says, you know, let me in, let me in, little piggy. And the pig says, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. And the wolf says, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down, and he does. And the straw blows everywhere. The little pig squeals out the back door, runs, escapes, and he runs to his buddy, the pig's house down the road. That one's built out of sticks, and the same thing happens. Little piggy, little piggy, let me, you know, you know, let me in. And he's not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. He's I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he blows the stick house down, and those two pigs squeal out the back, run down to their buddy's house that happens to be built out of brick. And this time the wolf shows up, same thing, little piggy, little piggy, let me in. And the pigs say, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And he says, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And guess what? It's built out of brick and he can't blow the house down. So what does he do? This is the part of the story often gets left out. It's in the original, I promise you. He climbed up on the roof because he's a sly wolf and he was going to slide down the chimney and eat the little pigs. But the little pigs were smart. And they anticipated it. And they put a pot on the fire and got the fire going and put a pot of boiling water on it. So when the wolf stuck his little nose down, they yanked him into the pot of boiling water and threw the lid on and they boiled him and ate the wolf, ate his behind. Now, what's the difference between opening and closing? Opening is where you build the brick house. Closing is where you cook that's Sly Wolf. Y'all take care. Until next time, as always, it's my pleasure. 